I, I wonder, friend, if you've ever had a relationship with someone where you could never figure out where you stood with them. Okay? One day, you think they like you. The next day, you get the distinct sense that maybe you've dropped off the friend list. Are they for me? Are they against me? Am I in their good graces? Am I not? I can't figure it out. I won't ask you to raise your hand because you may be thinking of someone in this room. (laughs) Because relationships are messy. And I think that fickle relationships like that are, are among the most stressful things that we experience in this life in a fallen world, especially when that, that relationship is with a close family member or maybe even a spouse. You know, maybe you've had a boss at work who was like that. You just couldn't figure out, where, where do I stand with this person? Or maybe one or both of your parents were like that. Or maybe I've just described your experience with a particular teacher or, or coach. Unfortunately, there's nothing I can do as I'm preaching right now to directly change the way they relate to you. But I can bring you this good news, friend, that that kind of uncertainty is not what God wants you to experience in your relationship with him. It's not. It's not. God wants you to know exactly where you stand with him. Not just once, but, but every day of your life. A, a couple days ago, I initiated a conversation with a, a woman come here um, to visit our food pantry. And we were talking and um, I asked her you know, if she wanted to talk about spiritual things with me. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, hey, do you, did you grow up going to church? No, I didn't grow up going to church. Um, didn't seem real interested in that. But, but then she did say, well, you know, I pray a lot. Well, what do you pray? And, and she said, well, I just pray over and over again, God be with me. God be with me. God be with me. And I looked at her and I said, how do you think we can know whether God is actually with us? Do, do you think you can actually know where you stand with him? And she didn't know what to say. Which, which gave me a wonderful opportunity to share Christ with her. <laughs> but I tell you what I think she needed to hear. She needed to hear the opening words of 1 John 3, verse 19. Namely, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Don't move too quickly past that. The this, and that phrase points back to what John just finished saying in verse 18. Namely, that that a pattern of tangible, sacrificial love in our lives is a strong indicator, a strong indicator that we've gone from being God's enemy to God's friend, from abiding in sin to abiding in Christ. The presence of sacrificial, tangible love in your life for other people indicates something about our relationship with God. But I don't want us to miss the underlying assumption that John makes and reveals in verse 19, namely, that knowing whether you are of the truth, it's not a pipe dream. or It's not a wild goose chase. Okay, there's no way John could say, by this, 
you will know, we shall know that we are of the truth with any integrity. If if knowing where we stand with God is just some sort of lifelong mystery that ordinary people like you and me can never, ever figure out. He, He couldn't say that. When he says, by this we shall know whether we are of the truth, that we are of the truth, the assumption there is that that kind of knowledge is possible. Indeed, available to all of us. I'd say it this way, assurance isn't a privilege reserved for special saints and super Christians. It's God's desire for you and God's gift to you in Jesus. And the point of this entire series in many respects, that the point of the entire book of 1 John isn't to leave you wondering about in the land of perpetual uncertainty about where you stand with God. Okay, that's not the goal. That's not the goal. You know, am I a Christian? Am I not? Does, does anyone ever really know? No, that's, that's not the goal. That's not my goal. That's not John's goal. John's goal is to guide you, to guide us down the path of certainty because church God wants us to know and experience the blessing of assurance of salvation. He, he wants you to think about your relationship with him and know for certain with confidence and faith, this is where I stand with God. And to that end, there are some really hard words in this book. If you were mapping out the preaching difficulty level, chapter three would be way up there, okay? There are hard words in here that that force us to wrestle with whether or not the conduct of our life testifies to the presence or absence of a genuine faith. And all of us need to examine our spiritual life on a regular basis and determine where we stand with the God who created us and the God who will one day judge us. We need to, as Paul says, examine ourselves, test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. That's not something that we do once and grow out of. It's a lifelong discipline. But the fact that all of us need to do that, that all of us need to grow and fight for greater assurance, confidence in our relationship with God, that doesn't mean that 1 John, as he pastors us, as he leads us through this process that he takes some sort of one-size-fits-all approach. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that reading, studying 1 John, it's not like buying a rain poncho at Walmart. One-size-fits-all, or as I often experience, one-size-fits-none. To work through 1 John, to allow him to pastor us in growing in our experience of assurance of salvation, it's more like visiting a tailor at a fine clothing store where John helps us experience the blessing of assurance by by addressing different kinds of people in different ways. So so what do I mean by this? Well, let me give you some examples. Some of us are prone to thinking that we've got this whole relationship with God thing in the bag. So we think of, of course I'm right with God. God loves everyone, doesn't he? I mean, isn't the essence of Christianity that God accepts and welcomes me no matter what I do? Well, actually, it's not. It's not. You need to hear, friend, if that's you, that 
The obedience of faith working through love is a necessary condition for assurance. Okay, in other words, if you're not obeying God, you're not a Christian. It's very clear. Right? But some of us aren't in that camp. We're in a little bit different camp. Okay, some of us are, are prone to wonder, why is assurance of salvation worth fighting for to begin with? Maybe it feels really elusive to you. There are so many unknowns, so many religions out there. Everyone seems to have a different idea of who God is and what relationship with him is supposed to look like. I mean, can, can any of us, we can't even see him for crying out loud. Can any of us ever really know where we stand with God? I mean, if, if he likes me, great. If he doesn't, I guess I'll have to deal with it. <laughs> Either way, what's the big fuss? Well, if that's you, you need to hear that God wants you to be confident in your relationship with him. He wants that for you, especially when it, when it comes to prayer. Confident prayer is the reward of assurance. And it's one of the main reasons why fighting for assurance is a fight worth continuing. It's one of the sweetest gifts that God gives us, that confidence in prayer. It only comes through assurance. And finally, another group that may be listening to me, I imagine this is a large group, some of us are, are prone to get mired in what I would call an endless spiral of introspection. Okay, what do I mean by introspection? Looking within, turning within. So maybe on Monday you, you feel like you're a Christian, but then on Tuesday you, you blow up at the kids. And then Wednesday night you look at pornography. And Thursday morning, you wake up anxious. And the more questions you ask about your life, the more you examine yourself, the more we study 1 John, the more you talk about 1 John, the more worried you become that, that maybe I'm not even a Christian after all. Maybe I've never been a Christian. And, and condemnation is a familiar face to you. It's been that way for a long time. You, you are, as it were, your, your own prosecuting attorney. And the verdict that you issue over your life whenever you stop to turn and examine yourself is always guilty. Guilty, guilty. It's as if you wake up every morning and there's a little voice in one of your ears that just whispers, not good enough. Never will be. Maybe you've heard that voice, familiar with that voice. If that's you, friend, And what you need to hear from 1 John is that God's evaluation of you, not your evaluation of yourself, is the foundation of your assurance. We we all need everything in this book because it's all true all the time, okay? But but part of listening actively to a, a sermon on Sunday morning is discerning what specific words in this particular passage are most important for me right now with where I'm at in, in my spiritual life with God. Because quite frankly, there are times in our spiritual life when what we need the most is the admonition and rebuke of the gospel, right? And that's loving of God. And then there are other times in our spiritual life when what we need the most is, is the encouragement and consolation of the gospel. Sometimes we need both at the same time. But but either way, John John doesn't take a one-size-fits-all approach here, even as he helps all of us to experience 
the blessing of assurance of salvation. Okay, that, that's the big idea in this passage. God wants you, God wants us to experience the blessing of assurance of salvation. But he gets us there, as I've been trying to illustrate, in different ways, depending on the current condition of our heart. Different words directed toward different kinds of people. And I want to draw your attention to three of them this morning. The first is a word of comfort. And it's this. Verses 19 and 20. God's evaluation is the foundation of our assurance. Amen, Car. God's evaluation is the foundation of our assurance. Okay, so notice, look at verse 19. Who is John describing here at the beginning? He speaks of those who are of the truth. In other words, they have good reason to believe that they are Christians. Of course, the critical question is, well, how in the world do they know that? How do they know they're of the truth? But by what means, ask it this way, by what means does a genuine Christian reassure their heart that they are actually right with God? That's the big question. Okay, well, John gives us two answers to that question, okay? The first answer points back to verse 18, and the second answer points forward to verse 20. So let's begin by, how does he point back to 18 and helping us understand, as a genuine Christian, how do we reassure our hearts that we're right with God? Well, first, verse 18, you have good reason to believe you're a Christian. I mentioned this earlier. If an examination of your life reveals tangible actions of sacrificial love toward people, that are only sustainable if you have experienced in a life-changing way the sacrificial love of God for you in Christ. If you see those kinds of actions, that kind of love that cannot be explained apart from receiving and abiding in the love of God for you in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, then you have good reason to believe that you're a Christian. He points back to verse 18 in that sense and reminds us that it's not arrogant. It's not arrogant to use the observable testimony of your life as a means by which you reassure your heart that your faith is genuine. Now, Why, why is that not arrogant? Why is, not, why is it not arrogant, think about this, to look at something in your life and draw a bit of a conclusion from that about something in your relationship with God? Why is that not arrogant? Well, quite simply, it's not arrogant because God tells you to do it. <laughs> he says, hey, listen, one of the ways that I'm going to help you understand where are you at with me right now is I'm going I'm to make sure that if we're good, if you are in Christ, if we have a personal relationship, or I'm your father, you're my child, that there are going to be certain things that I'm going to make sure show up in your life, starting with love for other people the way Jesus loved. So that's the first way a genuine Christian can, can reassure our hearts, among others, that we are right with God. You look at our life, we see that kind of love, like God's loved us, increases our assurance. But, but there's a second and even more important means by which a genuine Christian reassures their heart that they are right with God. I said John points backwards, but he also points forward. So look at verse 20. And the second way, an even more important means by which we reassure our hearts. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, hear this church, God is greater than our heart. Whenever our heart condemns us, what's true? 
What's true every single time that happens. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Boy, there's comfort here. Okay, notice John doesn't say if our heart condemns us. What does he say? Whenever our heart condemns us. In other words, he just outright presumes from the starting line that a feeling of condemnation, an acute sense of of spiritual failure and unworthiness on account of our sin and disobedience, even as Christians, is going to plague a lot of us who are genuinely in the faith. He's a good pastor. He he knows that. He knows that's going to be that condemnation, a familiar experience for even genuine Christians. Well, how does he know that? Well, in part because he wrote verse 18. (laughs) Right? I mean, I think you only have to consider the multitude of ways that we fail, that we fail, that I fail, to tangibly and sacrificially love other people the way God's loved me. To recognize how easy it is to have your heart condemn you before God. It's so easy. So easy. It's, it's not hard to take this, quote, relational test. Do I love my brothers and sisters in the church the way I should? And immediately feel condemned. So, so where do we turn in that moment? You think of it this way. Does, does assurance of salvation have to wait until we reach a certain level of maturity in our love for one another. Thank you, Ron. Shaking his head. No. No, praise God the answer is no, right? Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is what? Greater than our heart. He's greater than our heart. In what sense is he greater? Please hear this. He's greater in the sense that his evaluation of you, his declaration over your life is infinitely more significant than your assessment and the assessment of all the people around you. It's always greater. 1 Corinthians 4.3. But with me, Paul says, it's a very small thing. Hear that. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, check this out, I don't even judge myself. (laughs) What? Yeah, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Why not, Paul? I mean, isn't what you think of yourself and what other people think of you really important? Isn't that what determines how you're doing with God? Well, no, why not? It is the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who judges me. That's right. And friend, if you're a follower of of Christ, if you've come to Jesus and confessed your sin and asked him to forgive your sin and, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, then you know what God's done? He has issued a once for all eternal verdict over your life. And it's called righteous in Christ. Isaiah 118. Come now. Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. How is that possible? How is it possible for God to justify, to declare righteous the ungodly? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear that, Christian. There is a verdict that Almighty God, if you were in Christ, has issued over your life. And that verdict is righteous as God is righteous because of what Jesus has done for you. And by the way, that verdict is not subject to appeal. It cannot be revoked. It won't be lost. It's fixed and and eternal. So remember that. Whenever your heart condemns you, the Lord doesn't. He doesn't. And Quite to the contrary, you are righteous in his sight. But we ask questions, don't we? We ask questions like, well, what if God discovers what I did last night? Or what if God realizes next week that I've failed again? We think like that. Well, what if at some point he just says, you know what? I tried, but this isn't working out, all right? Uh, Let's be friends, but you know. (laughs) He's not gonna do that. Why not? Because what does John say? God is greater than our heart and he what? He knows everything. In other words, the declaration of righteousness that he declares over you if you are in Christ is not a product of divine ignorance. It's not as though God says, Oh, look at all them. They're all righteous. Because he's, he's just blind. And, and he doesn't realize that we're really messed up. No, what John makes it very clear. He's greater than our heart. It's his assessment, his declaration, his evaluation that matters. And we can be confident in that because when he issues that verdict, when he gives you that evaluation in Jesus, he does that knowing everything about you. God is never going to find out at some point in your Christian life that he made a mistake in saving you or regret that at that time he gave you a declaration of righteousness. Wow, if I'd known they were gone, I'd probably, no. He knows everything. So whenever your heart condemns you, Christian, remember this. Remember this. Let's summarize this first point this way. Assurance of salvation requires trusting God's evaluation of you more than your evaluation of yourself. And if you can't learn to do that, you'll never experience assurance of salvation. We, we don't gain assurance by introspection. We gain assurance, to make up a word, by extrospection, <laughs> by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. So our obedience, we're or lack thereof, as we've seen over and over again in the series, that's critical in assessing the authenticity of our faith. But our obedience is not the foundation of our assurance, okay? Jesus is. Jesus is. So, so whenever your heart condemns you, what do we do? Well, we need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with other people about what we see. But don't keep looking within. Look up and reassure your heart before him by receiving the Father's declaration of righteous over you. I love how Robert Yarbrough says, if the heart is weighed down, some of you can relate to this, if the heart is weighed down with conviction of wrongdoing, the place to turn is not further inward, praise God, but outward and upward toward God. Okay, God's evaluation, that's the foundation of our assurance. Point one. Point number two, Confident prayer is the reward of our assurance. Verses 21 and 
and 22. I mentioned earlier this question, how do we know that assurance of salvation is even worth fighting for? I mean, sometimes it can seem like so, so much work, so elusive. You know, do I, we, we take these tests. Do I believe Jesus is the Christ and trust him completely? Well, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Do, do I practice righteousness instead of practicing sin? Well, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. You know, do, do I faithfully and tangibly, sacrificially love the brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, a little bit, but, but sometimes I, I don't. So, so am I a Christian or am I not? Maybe it's a, a regular battle for you to invest more authority in God's evaluation of you than your evaluation of yourself. You, you wish your heart would stop condemning you. you. You want to live in the good of verse 20 where your heart no longer condemns you and you're full of faith that God is for you, not against you. But that little voice I mentioned earlier, not good enough, it never seems to go away. And when that is our experience, even as a Christian, it can be really tempting to just give up, abandon ship, and forget the whole fight for assurance. I, I'm just tired of fighting for it. I, I'm just going to feel whatever I'm going to feel and deal with it. We give up the fight. Well, friend, if that's you, verses 21 and 22 are God's way of encouraging you. You don't want to give up the fight. Don't give up the fight. Why do I say that? Because God wants you to experience the blessing of living with confidence in your relationship with him. Hebrews 4. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with what? With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, so think about this. Why is the fight for assurance important? Why does it matter? Well, in part, because receiving mercy and finding grace to help in time of need, it depends on assurance. <laughs> okay, so, so if we lack assurance, track with me here. If we lack assurance we're not going to approach God. We won't. We won't cry out to him through prayer. Why not? Because we're not confident that he's going to welcome and accept us if we do that. We'll stand at arm's length, spiritually speaking. We won't ask God for anything because we're not confident, we're not assured that he welcomes or accepts us to begin with. And as a result of that failure to pray, we don't experience spiritual blessings that we need and that God is eager to give us if we're willing to pray. Okay, that, that's the whole connection John's making here. The whole reason we, we fight to trust God's evaluation more than our own, the whole reason we work toward the point, verse 21, where in our experience, our heart does not condemn us. Why do we do that? Is because we want to experience the blessing of confidence in our relationship with God, especially confidence in prayer. Confidence in prayer. So pay attention to the connection. What, what does John say? Verse 21 Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And if we have confidence before God, what do we experience as a result? Keep reading. 
A relationship of dependent prayer where what? What's true? Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now, that raises a host of questions. Matthew, if you're saying that the reason I should fight for assurance when it seems so elusive is that God wants me to be confident in my relationship with him and specifically confident so I experience this sweet reward of answered prayer. Okay, genius. Then what do I do with the fact that there's some things I've prayed for for a long time that God seems to not answer? Is John saying that the key to getting all your prayers answered is to have a word of faith? And conjure up enough confidence such that God is somehow compelled through your faith to give you whatever you want. Or if you look at the end of 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That raises another question. Is the way this whole prayer thing works that that I do what God wants? And if I do that, God does what I want. It can look like that. Well, there's no way that I can answer in one part of one sermon all the questions this raises. But, but I want to try to make a couple quick points and invite you to talk with me. This is something you wrestle with, okay? So first, when we get to a difficult passage in the Bible like this, when John says, whatever we ask, we receive from him, and we think, I didn't line up with my life on first glance, it's really important, church, that we don't get so focused on clarifying what John isn't saying that we lose sight of what he is saying. Does that make sense? If our first move is, well, I sure hope he's not saying A, B, C, D, E, or F, you're never gonna actually see what he's trying to say. And what he's trying to say here, what he is in fact saying, he's making a very important point that the Bible affirms over and over and over again. Namely, this is first point of three I'll make on this verse, that an effective prayer The kind of prayer that God delights to answer, it is always a confident and faith-filled prayer. The Bible says that over and over again. Matthew 21, 21. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith faith. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's telling us that we shouldn't expect God to answer our prayers if we're not willing to bring our request to him with a faith that believes he is able to do what we've asked him to do. And a faith that believes God wants what is best for us and knows what is best for us and will inevitably provide what is best for us. That's the first thing we've got to remember. John is saying, the kind of prayer God delights to answer, the only kind God will answer, is a prayer of faith, a prayer of confidence. Second, the clear implication here, especially the last phrase in 22, is that if we are not keeping God's commandments and refuse to live in a way that's pleasing to him, quite simply, friend, we should not expect God to answer our prayers. Why not? Why not? Because God will only answer prayers 
that are in keeping with his perfect will. Right? It's the only kind of prayer he answers. And you can't pray in keeping with the will of God if you're unwilling to submit to the will of God. The kind of prayer that a person who is unwilling to submit to the will of God prays is never a prayer that is in keeping with the will of God. And if that strikes you as strange, simply look at Psalm 37, 4. That's the whole point of this verse. What's David say? Delight yourself in the Lord and what will happen? He will give you the desires of your heart. So think about how this works, all right? When we're delighting in the Lord, when we, when we begin to love what God loves, to desire what God desires, when, when we start longing for the things that God's already longing for, guess what happens? Your prayers begin to change. And, and they become more God-centered and, and less self-centered. And, and we find ourselves praying for things that God really does care about and bringing requests that God is eager to answer. As John Stott wisely said, I love this, Obedience is the indispensable condition, not the meritorious cause of answer prayer. We've got to remember that. If we're not willing to submit to God's will, if we're not willing to keep his commandments, do what's pleasing to him, we're not going to desire and therefore we will not pray for things that are in keeping with his will, which is the only kind of prayer God answers. Third, third point I'll make here. This verse 22 is that we should expect, please hear this, we should expect answered prayer to be our normal experience as Christians. If when you think about praying, you never get past the, well, what do I do with the fact that God doesn't seem to answer all my requests? Something is missing, friend. Namely, a childlike faith that recognizes there are things that are mysteries about God and his ways that we will never understand, but doesn't fixate on the mysteries. It fixates on what God has revealed. What has God revealed? Namely, that if you're a child of God, that our normal experiences as Christians, this is what verse 22 reminds us of, if we approach God with confidence and faith in our prayers, is that God will answer our prayers. That's the whole reason we pray. We believe that he'll answer our requests. Jesus said, Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. So clear, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Why does Jesus say that? Because if you're a Christian, you have a father in heaven who delights to give good gifts to his kids. So do not allow the fact, Christian, that God and the mystery of his wisdom sometimes seems to deny an answer to your prayers. Do not allow that fact to dissuade you from bringing your request to him with confidence and faith because he loves you. He loves you. And he will always answer our request in whatever way will bring you the greatest good and God the greatest glory. And he's promised, he's promised, this is the promise implicit in verse 22, that there are things that God will not give you if you're not willing to pray for them. That's just as true as everything else I've said. So let's fight to grow in our assurance of salvation so that we can bring our request to God, the Father, with with confidence, knowing that because we're righteous in his sight, that he is eager to hear our request and eager to answer 
our prayers. That's why we fight for assurance in large part so that we can experience that sweet reward of confident prayer. Okay, so point one, God's evaluation is the foundation of our assurance. Point two, confident prayer is the reward of our assurance. Here's the last point. I'll make this briefly. That faith working through love is the condition of our assurance. And here I'm giving attention to verses 23 and 24. Faith working through love is the condition of our assurance. What, What do I mean by this? Well, very simply, in verse 23, John ties together all three of the principal tests of assurance in his letter. Remember, one of the ways he serves us is he gives us simple tests we can take to know Am I a Christian or am I not? Is my faith genuine or is it false? And, and in verse 23, he, he really ties all three of these together. So what are the three? One, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and are you relying on him to deliver you from sin and make you right with God? That's, that's the first test. Two, are you keeping God's commands? Okay, does your life reveal a pattern of doing what the word of God tells you to do or a pattern of doing what your flesh feels like doing? Okay, and three, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? I mentioned that before. When you look at your life, do you see tangible sacrificial love for the people around you? Okay, all three of those are found in verse 23. This is his commandment. We have to obey. What's the commandment? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Now, I want you to notice something about this verse. Look very carefully if you have a Bible in front of you. John says what? And this is his commandment, singular. But then what does he do? He gives you two commands, right? This is his commandment. Okay, one thing. Well, it's actually two, that we may believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. John, you said one. What's up with that? Well, here's what's up with that, okay? You cannot separate faith in Christ, obeying God's commands, and loving other people, well, like it's some sort of supermarket where you just pick, well, have a little of that and none of that, that's bad, and a little bit of this. You you can't do that. They are inextricably bound together. So much so that John can refer to all of them as one singular commandment. That's his point. The Christian life, if you're looking for a good summary of what it looks like, it looks like faith working through love. You can't disconnect those things. Why? Why? Because it's obedience in the form of believing in Christ, that's a command, that creates the transformation of heart that we need to love one another. Okay, there's all sorts of connections here, but, but suffice it to say, all these things go together or they fall together. Okay, and, that, and that's what Paul refers to in Galatians 5, 6 when he speaks of faith working through love. So sometimes I have people ask me, Matthew, how can I grow in my experience of, of intimacy with God and my relationship with God? I just feel like he's so far away. How can I grow in that? I know what Jesus has done for me, but I just struggle to experience the reality of I'm abiding in God, God's abiding in me. Everything John refers to here. Well, you know what I tell that person? I go back to verse 23. If you want to grow in your experience of intimacy with God, then two things are necessary. You have to fight to grow in your faith in God. 
specifically your trust in Jesus Christ in different areas of your life. And then you need to fight to grow in the way you love people. It's not rocket science. If, if you want to experience a greater intimacy with God and, and a greater abiding in him, to where you wake up in the morning and it doesn't feel so distant, then you need to give attention to two things. Your faith in the Lord, your trust in him, and the way you love other people. If we, if we are abounding in both of those directions, then our assurance of salvation will grow. And lest we lose heart in the battle, look at the very last sentence, verse 24. This is so encouraging. We, we remember that faith working through love is the condition of our assurance. Apart from the presence of faith working through love, we can have no assurance. But lest we fear that we'll never be able to grow in faith working through love, what does John tell us? Verse 24, and by this we know that he, God, abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You know why God's given you the Holy Spirit? You can do a whole message on this, but I'll summarize it this way, okay? He's given you the Holy Spirit for two reasons, among others, but these are really big. One, so that you can be assured you're a child of God. All right, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's one of his roles, okay? And second, why is God giving us his spirit? So that no matter where you are, or what's going on, you always have inside of you, Christian, all the power you need to obey God and walk in a manner that is pleasing with him, to grow in your faith, to grow in your love, so that day by day as the Spirit's working in you and you're cooperating with that work, you can grow in your assurance of salvation. It's the Spirit that makes that a hopeful, joyful fight and not a a hopeless, discouraging labor. It's the spirit that gives faith. It's the spirit that gives love for people. You you can't whip those things up inside of you. But the spirit of God will bring them to pass in you. And as that happens, God gives us a greater gift of assurance. Friends, in conclusion, I hope you hear more than anything else, not just this morning, but all these sermons, God wants you to experience the blessing of, of assurance of salvation. But he gets us there in different ways. So if you're prone to get mired in condemnation, introspection, then you need to remember that it's God's evaluation of you, not your evaluation of yourself, that's, that's the foundation of our assurance. And, and if you're prone to just get tired, confused in the whole fight and think that assurance of salvation, this, this is elusive at best and just impossible at at the worst, then you need to remember that God actually wants you to be confident in your relationship with him. He wants you to have that sweet reward of answered prayer. And finally, if you ever find yourself thinking that, that God will accept and welcome me no matter what I do, so it doesn't matter what I do, well, then you need to remember that faith working through love is the necessary condition of our assurance. It's different words, for people in different places. May the Lord use his word this week, friends. No matter where you find yourself, which group you're more prone to, to help us grow in our experience of assurance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do not give us in the form of this book 
some sort of assurance recipe and then tell us to go off and have fun cooking it on our own. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would today and this week, where we need greater confidence in your evaluation, not our own, that you would give that. I pray where we have stopped approaching you in confidence in our prayer, that you would give that. And Lord, I pray where we have lost sight of the need to persevere in faith, working through love, that that you, Spirit of God, would give that too. We need you to do in us the things that by ourselves are impossible. And I pray for your help, Lord, that as a church, as a people, we might all experience a genuine assurance of salvation. For your glory and our good, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do that, friends, we'll receive our tithes and offerings this morning.